0: Welcome to episode 39 of Iron Man Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Hey guys, welcome along to episode 39 of Iron Man Talk with... uh... Just Bevan James Isles at the moment because John's on the big bike ride doing 250 k's and it's pouring down with rain outside so hopefully he got out on his bike today. I uh, Ironman Talk is brought to you by of coffeesofhawaii.com. Go out there to check out the latest specials and the great coffee and just do it because they support us. Um, today I've put together a show of our best of for the year. Uh, I've kind of just basically put on a couple interviews and a couple of little bits in between those interviews. We've got an interview of Hayden Woolley where he covered a lot of coaching details into swimming. And then we have a look at the interview with Gordo when he was on Epic Camp in France. We're going to have a lot more of Gordo and Scott and all the other crew at Epic Camp New Zealand, so I thought it would be a good chance just to recap on that. Uh, We've got some other little bits in there to make you laugh, so uh, I'll pretty much get straight into the show, and uh, you guys enjoy your Christmas, or uh, it's probably already been Christmas, actually. I'm doing this before Christmas, so uh, enjoy your new year, and uh, we'll see you soon. Here we go.
1: Up there, and that will be another source of information for you guys.
0: Yep. I uh, got another email from Duncan Dunk. You might Duncan, he's given us a it no, Yeah. I'm not
1: happy about that, actually. We've sort of we've stated that. The so I really
0: enjoyed the build up the code of the Coda Super Special. It was the world championship of Iron Man, after all. I don't understand why he started to build up a week before the race.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Everybody downloads the shows on different days, you see. and <laughs> that doesn't mean
0: that hey. today's episode 29 will be Kona Super Special Part 2. And it is. Yeah, and we yes. have a post-Kona Super Special. We will do a post-Kona Special, thanks yeah. very much, Duncan. And
1: there's nothing you can do about it, because yeah. it's our show. It's our show, and we'll do what we want. <laughs> if we want to throw our toys out of the, pr- the
0: pram, we will. We might even do a post-post. Yeah, double it up again. Yeah. Bevan just, likes doubling things up. Uh, double it up. Hey, with that, just one thing with that... Um, uh, what was I say? One thing is that we release our shows um, to the internet every. I release it Tuesday night in New Zealand, so uh, wherever you can, if you can work that out from where you are. Um, I mean,
1: Tuesday morning, sort of UK time, yeah. um, Tuesday morning, American time.
0: So, so. Yeah, so, so around that time, that's when I actually release the show to the internet, generally, you know, pretty much every week. So it um, seems to be different people load it to different times in the week, and I imagine most people don't know that you can update it. If you're using iTunes, at least, you can go into the iTunes and just push refresh in the podcasting section and it will check to see if it's come in. So if you want to get the show earlier in the week, um, you weren't getting it uh, on, like, basically around a Tuesday, then you can do that now. Mm. Um, okay, Speaking of doubling up, Duncan... <laughs> <laughs>
1: You've decided to double up, haven't you? Yeah, double up. You've doubled up Hang with the question. <clears throat> <laughs> so um Mr Slam I am at slam.net.nz <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> probably probably shouldn't give out email addresses. Might need to edit that part yeah, out, Bevan. Yeah. It's your mate so you can uh, you can sort that out. <laughs> um but Duncan you, yeah. <laughs> we, we, we're going to rip into you because you, you, haven't, you haven't done your preparation correctly for these questions. <laughs> You've said, "Can I suggest a high five about caring for wetsuits and good technique for those swim-bike transitions?" We've done that we have. Go back to episode six, uh, and we've got our high five on, on wetsuits. But do you know
0: why? you know why he's suggesting this? He's doing a triathlon the next couple of weeks, and I've lent my wetsuit, and he put it on, and he ripped it. It <laughs> was your wetsuit, yeah. uh-huh. and he's ripped my wetsuit. So yeah. So can we how to? Age trooper of the week. week. Beautiful, mate. We're bringing back the music features. We're, we're on the ride this morning. We did a big ride, and, uh, you know, we were having a bit of a hard session. John and I were just kind of sitting down, just riding without talking. Out of nowhere, John turns around and goes, We need to bring the music back. <laughs> <laughs> Got to get a bit of excitement back uh, in there. But you love it, don't you? We, we, know, you love,
1: we know you love our uh, accents and our oh, the music. and our Crazy humour. But, uh, <laughs> but we thought we'd bring back a bit of the music. So, um, yeah, Age Grouper of the Week. Now, we had a couple, actually,
0: because... Doubling up again.
1: Doubling up again. He just can't, can't get one. But what's happening to And me? now he's
0: lost it. He's <laughs> lost it. <laughs> I know who it is, but Francine, Francine Burgess, um, in, there was the American race, wasn't it? It was like Placid. Now, I'm giving her age gripper of the week. Eventually she ended up doing like 16 hours and ended up finishing the race. But I'm giving her age gripper of the week because the, the lady did eight and a half hours on the bike, which to me, you're a bloody legend if you can do that. It's a sore bottom. Yeah. sore bottom at the end oh. of eight and a half hours riding. It's much easier being fast. <laughs> Eight and a half hours to get off the bike and do a marathon. So, so Francine, you're a bloody legend. And at the same time, we're actually, we're um, one of our favorite email and question people is Mr. Cipolla, done his first Ironman and we've actually lost the information on that. And I think he did around
1: 15 uh, hours, fourteen. No, no, hours? No, 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 about 13 and a half. 13 and a half. So it looked like he had a well-paced race, um, you yeah. know. Quite long on the bike, but uh, looked like he had a really good run. Yeah. So, so, well done, Matthew. Hope all our advice
0: has helped, and uh, you're recovering nicely. You're an Ironman, so you've yeah. joined the gang. Oh mate,
1: uh, you're an Ironman. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> they always say my name wrong. They yeah. breaks my heart. They go, "Pivot <laughs> You're
1: an Ironman. You're an
0: Ironman. Okay, so uh, those are our age groupers of the week. Well done, guys. Um, do you want any music for this one? I think so. Okay, wait a second, guys.
1: Back in. On in uh, today's show, we've got Hayden Woolley, who's a swim coach extraordinaire from Auckland, New Zealand. Um, so welcome along to the show, Hayden. Glad to have you here. Now what She's we're going. Going, to, going to go through, Hayden gives us a really good perspective because he's been a, uh, a top swimmer for New Zealand. He's also been a top triathlete for New Zealand. And now he's obviously getting into, uh, well, been into swim coaching for quite some time now. So he can give us a unique perspective and we're going to talk really about Ironman side of swimming and uh and what you guys should be doing so I'm quite looking forward to it I know Hayden quite well but I've never actually been uh coached by him for swimming so I'm
0: looking forward to it because Hayden I suck at swimming and I really
1: try hard but <laughs> you're the man so <laughs> so how did you sort of get into triathlons Hayden just a bit about your background
2: <clears throat> yeah um funny story because you know this girl as well um a friend that we both know Sarah Harrow, she um she was a good triathlete back um 1994, I think she got third in Wellington yeah. um, at World uh, Tri Champs. She was a mate, and she used to be a, uh, an ex-swimmer. And uh, I totally uh, rated her ass. Uh, so <laughs> she, she <got>, actually <laughs> yes, got she got me did. out there one day. Um, and managed to get me out there for a three-hour bike ride. And I remember thinking, Yeah, I'm on for that. Whatever, I'll I'll, I'll follow that cute butt around for three hours. <laughs> <laughs> so um, <laughs> um, we, we got out there and you know did that, and it was all good fun. I think we averaged about 21 k's an hour in my old sort of Allen um, Allen bike and it was an ALAN it wasn't the Allen speed frames it was a really really old bike but it was cool uh-huh. and um, I think I trained for two hours in the morning doing a bit of a swim for a three hour bike ride then finished up doing another two hour swim at night at about eight o'clock I think I had the sack didn't wake up anywhere near early enough to go training in the morning <laughs> screwed the whole next day <laughs> but I think that's that's pretty much what got me um, stuck anyway so um Got, and, got involved with a guy called John Hallamans, who was both our coaches. He had a group yeah. of about eight or nine guys, I think, at once, And we all got involved, and he, he put the structure around us, and, and then uh, just kept going. Yeah, that's how I started.
1: Oh, very good. Did you, did you change your, your approach to swim training much? Like, obviously, you know, the swimmers, you, you're training a huge huge amount of volume in the pool, but did you actually change the way that you, you did your own swim sessions when you came to triathlon?
2: I think, really, it, all, it just got scaled down because, you know, you've got three sports, um, plus if you're doing gym work um, as a triathlete. But, really, we went from 10 or 11 sessions as Swarman down to about three to five. Uh, it was one of those disciplines that I knew I didn't have to work on that, that strongly. So, for me, I think I was sitting around about three to four sessions, and, and John wanted most of us doing five. Uh, so, they, they dropped from about 10 to three or four sessions, yeah. plus um, all the mileage obviously dropped. Um, quite remarkably, down from up to ten sessions we're doing the pool eighty k's a week to maybe a maximum while I was doing trials of about twenty five k's a week. Okay. So obviously, you know, both the number of sessions and mileage went way down. Yeah, um, but I think you know generally the mix of things stayed roughly the same. We, we might only do one threshold, maybe two threshold sets a week as a triathlete. We you do you know up to four or five of those as a, as a swimmer, but um, they are also the specialist uh, kind of triathlon transition. Um, swim, swim bike, swim runs that we'd do we'd, uh, we, we used to go out to a pool uh, That was out near the airport Down there in Christchurch We'd uh, head out to it And it had quite a, quite a gradual end um, Like the steps as they'd roll in Would actually be steps They'd be more like a Almost like one of those wheelchair access ways. It was really quite a gradual slope So we'd practice running into the pool 50 metres hard Sort of running back out we did, we did a few sort of specific activities like that And um, then um, obviously the sea, sea training once a week doing some in-and-outs through the waves. you know, It's quite a different experience trying to bash through waves and get through them clean than just going on a pool a flat surface. Yeah. Ah, cool. So I think those are the main differences, really.
0: Yeah. So you're obviously a coach now, and actually I come up to Auckland a bit for work, Hayden, and I swim where you, where you coach, and I see you with your clients a bit, and I'm always quite impressed of the, the amount of detail you spend with them with your video camera and all that. But um, I was just wondering, as a coach, how big are you on technique?
2: Um, well, I think... We can go on for hours and hours about this, and you know that, and I'm yeah. not about to do that right now. Yeah. But the way the way we approach technique, whether you're doing drills, you're kicking, or whether you're actually doing um, just any easy swimming, and you're focusing on how you're moving through the water so that you can do it more efficiently or faster for whatever energy you it should be around about somewhere between 70 and 85% of your week should be at that kind of easy pace. and It's where we've noticed a lot of trifects make their biggest downfall, their biggest mistakes. They do it a little bit too quickly. They don't really focus on what they should be, and they don't get better because of it. And what we try and focus on with our swimmers and what I do myself, you know, try and be the best um, demonstration I can for my athletes, is all of that easy work, which will go up, you know, it's it's always a majority. It needs to be done with your focus on technique, whether you're doing drills or whether you're actually just focusing on it. Um... It needs to be a, a factor of every single stroke that you're taking, and so when you we, when you can habitualise that and all the easy work, whether you're actually doing drills or just straight swimming easy, then it becomes so habitual yeah. that when you hit that hard work, which is really important, you know it doesn't it doesn't um, um, it doesn't break down too much. You know you actually you're not only getting the endurance and you're getting the fitness from the long stuff, but it tends to create those important habits that don't break under pressure or competition or um, intensity. So you know. Whether you're talking about techniques in terms of drills, sure, they're important, but um, I think drills often get overdone in terms of how much people do with them, and they don't do them well, and they also don't know how to transfer them back to their swimming, and that's where a big... Um, it's it really comes down to communication between the coach and the athlete. But if you can understand your drills, do a minimum of them, like it might only do, say, 10 minutes of drills a week, but if you've got a really good understanding how you're doing them you doing them well and transfer them, then... All you need to do is do your easy work well, better, and then that's where you have your big um, your big change
1: that gets made. So mm.
0: that makes sense. Oh, that's interesting, isn't
1: it? How much percentage of technique would you do, Bevan? Oh, I tend
0: to do just one session a week where I just kind of get in and go really easy with yeah. just technique work. But I try to focus on, I don't come from a swimming background, so you always feel like you're trying to improve your technique. Mm. You know, It's a battle that you just always seem to have in your mind.
1: Now, a lot of um, triathletes I work with often struggle a bit when I tell them to do all four strokes, you know, doing some IM work and some butterfly work. Do you, do you include a lot of um, you know, medley work and different strokes with the, the, the variety of swimmers you work with? Yeah, I do,
2: um, and it's, it's one of the uh, typical things that a, that a triathlete will tell you, If you're coming from a swimming perspective and you're trying to educate them about the importance of all four strokes, the way we try and view it is a different stroke is really just a drill. And whether it's actually formally a different stroke... If the if swimmer can get the head around anything in the water that's a skill where you've got to try and maximise your speed forward for whatever energy you put in, whether it's backstroke, fly breaststroke or whatever, really all you're trying to do is maximise your ability to create a backward movement through a shape forward that doesn't create any turbulence. So whether you're doing butterfly or you're actually just doing freestyle, the better you can get at all those four strokes. Um, normally, your skill level in total should rise to a level where your freestyle ends up benefiting as well. So um, the triathlete's response to that normally is, well, you know, I'm not going to do butterflies. I'm guilty of that. Triathlete, especially I, man. Yeah. But, um, but butterflies, are, as, a, as an example, can be quite um, useful. Y- you know, the, the desire to want to breathe, especially in butterflies, is quite strong. And you never learn if, you never learn to get a breath unless you develop a reasonably good catch. It will make you bend your elbows it'll make you press outwards you'll actually learn to feel the water sometimes better in butterfly than you can teach somebody in, um, in freestyle so there's just one example of how say butterfly can have a, a beneficial transfer back to freestyle. Um, backstroke um, is a big rotational stroke so if you have problems teaching somebody how to rotate on their front when breathings you know obviously an issue then you can you can do it often sometimes easier getting them learn how to learning how to do that, that skill with a pair of flippers on their back. Mm. Um, and rotating and then put the back on the front. Mm. Breaststroke's a little bit different um, as um, it really has very little um, obvious translation back to freestyle, but um, you get the point anyway. I think mm. most, yeah. most um, coaches worldwide as well, that they will tend to, and we're talking um, possible coaches here again, but they will tend to teach a, um, a broad spectrum of skills. And only when that swimmer, um, if they're running an internationally competitive program, once they get to the, the ages of 13 to 16, where they do become competitive on a world stage, um, then actually start to specialise those swimmers into single strokes. And you saw that with Daniel when he when he went to the Olympics, originally he was a butterfly swimmer. Um, and um, I, I went to nationals and won the, the 400 IAM at, at nationals in 1993, but... Um, the only reason why is because Daniel wasn't competing in that event that year. He probably he would have beaten me. I have no doubt.
3: <laughs> but
2: um, he was focusing on other things. But eventually he he came back to freestyle, and you know he he could have probably beaten me at breaststroke, um, backstroke, and definitely butterfly. You know, you got um, the, the the bronze. I think it was, was yeah, yeah. ninety two and yeah, whatever that was. Yeah. But yeah, I think um, it, it's a big it's a big mental change for um, a triathlete to want to learn those other strokes but if they treat it more as a, as a winter kind of skill program and they do ramp up the mileage of those other strokes and they actually can make changes, I think they will and we, do, we, we see the, um, the issue in our squads, you know, and in Auckland at least where 9 as having quite technical squads, I think you can go along to a lot of tri-squads and not get a lot of feedback and mm. in the coach's defence it actually is quite hard to offer a lot of feedback in, in a squad setting but uh, we, we make a point of making all our squads um, very kick um, and very other stroke Especially in winter, we've been through about Four months where um, there's been a lot of A lot of negative feedback about the amount of fly and <laughs> stroke and breaststroke And especially kick pad. But people benefit from it and come, come Summer they, they end up racing better
1: Yeah, yeah. When, when you're sort of setting a program Obviously Bevan and I are sitting here And, and I'm you know roughly about a 50 minute Ironman Swimmer and Bevan's roughly a 50, 58 55 58, 58 55. <laughs> um, do you, would you <laughs> in, that <sort> of, <laughs> yeah, in that sort of scenario would you give the say the two athletes a, a very similar program or would you structure it quite differently for someone who's sort of a, a first pack or second pack swimmer versus say around about an one hour swimmer
2: yeah no, it does need to be set differently you do need to know your athlete well
1: um, and
2: there's there's no definite answer to it that, but the general overview and difference between the swimmers tends to be that um, if the 60 minute swimmer for an Ironman swim, if they're not doing all the distance quite that correctly, and a lot of them, you know, at the 60 minute mark is where you're getting to be a reasonably proficient swimmer, um, they know they've got a fair way to go, but they are hitting the point where they're hitting sort of 135, or 130 repetitions and 135 average for the whole Ironman swim. Um, It's getting to a reasonable level, but they often still won't do their long distance that correctly. So in that sense, if that long distance hasn't actually been done perfectly, then it's not going to make as big a difference as, say, a 50-minute swimmer, um, who you can generally give a lot more distance to, and you know they'll be doing it better, Mm. if you know what I mean. So Mm. you'll get more benefit out of getting a a better swimmer long distance than you will um, get... Long distance just throwing at a, a slightly weaker swimmer. Yeah. Uh, yeah You'll tend to give them sets where the importance is placed more on controlling times rather than the actual speed of the times. Like a set we give some of our athletes is um, we gradually build them up from quite small sets, like it could be as small as 850s, trying to bring your times down over 850s on a on an interval that gives you about 10 seconds rest, so it just shows pace control. And once they gradually build control up to, say, 3,100s, where they can bring their times gradually from, say, 135 down to 125 over 3,100s on the same interval, then that shows enough control that you know you can throw five or six K sessions out and actually get a benefit
1: yeah. from mm-hmm. But until
2: you get to that level, the long-distance stuff really doesn't doesn't do what you want it to. Yeah. So there, there's a change there. So I guess what, what we mean there is, the, the mileage can tend to be um, easily, more easily thrown at the um, better swimmers knowing it's going to work, um, but, but for the other swimmers sitting around about the 60 minutes, you've got to build them up to it in a way where you know that long distance is going to work, and also those slower swimmers threshold sets just going hard and you for 30 minutes over say 15 100s 100 on 145, trying to hold the 130s, most of those swimmers just get slower,
1: Yeah.
2: and while it's good for a good hard workout Maybe once every four weeks If you're doing it every week You'll just pummel yourself into the ground And your technique deteriorates Yeah Whereas you can You can you can generally tend to give that That set to a, a better swimmer A bit more often without You know you will get better benefits And you won't get as much technique deterioration
0: mm. Mm, That's good yeah. do, um, do you prefer the Ironman athletes you coach uh, To swing frequently or longer So would you rather them have five short sessions Or like three longer sessions Or does that just depend
2: yeah, no, there's a definite answer there. I think with triathletes, especially when they're working class athletes and they've, they've got a job to hold down or a, or a family, de- definitely less is more. Um, but you always want to try and get more out of those fewer sessions. Um, like Fee Dockett is a girl we used to coach, and uh, she she went. She actually got to the point where she was swimming reasonably well. She was getting down to. She was a. Um, she has gone long distance in the, in the past. Um, she might have even won. She jo- won Johnny,
1: world. did she win Nice? No, no, she won yeah. world long long course girathon champs.
2: Yeah, yeah. So I mean, but what did she do? What was the best race she ever got to? Um, and she's got she's got come
1: second. She got second at uh, Ironman Australia, Western Australia.
2: Yeah, yeah. So she she did she did do well. I think at that point she wasn't with us.
1: Yeah. Um, we chose to go our own
2: way for um, a couple of years, but we found with her, she put in about six months where all she wanted to do was training, and we found that we got. Better results out of her. She got down to a 20-minute um, flat 1500-meter um, time, which was pretty respectable, yeah. holding 120s. Um, and that was after I think that was about two weeks after she had a, oh, the best trip, um, set that I ever saw. It was 2100s on 130, and she held 115 to 118s, which is pretty sharp. Yeah. Um, but we did that on the back of six sessions, doing two sessions on Monday, two sessions on Wednesday, and two sessions on Friday. Um, and that we found that worked better after she went up to 10 sessions a week. And 10 sessions a week was just killing her. Yeah. And she wasn't doing them properly, and the technique was deteriorating. And she actually got slower doing that. It was mm. quite interesting to watch. So, um, yeah, definitely more more's better. Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry, less, is, less, less sessions is better. But you've got to be able to do a lot of training within that. Yeah. yeah.
1: Cool. As long as it's done well. Yeah, yeah, yeah it, I mean, I know this is a very um, How long is a piece of string sort of question But are there any any sort of common faults That you see the majority of Ironman swimmers making?
2: Yeah, absolutely I'd normally put it down to two of them um, it's, it's the age old thing Everyone's heard this training Get your head down But because we swim um, as triathletes In the open water for um, some of our training um, And most of the races are down out there In the open water with chop. Um, a lot of the time. You do have to lift your head, it's just part and parcel of um, navigating and um, you don't have a blue line underneath which is, you know, some people are pain in the ass, (laughs) but um, you um, the fact of the matter is that whether you're in the pool or whether you're in the sea, you've still got to be able to try and slide through the water, whether there's waves or not Um, and if you do have your head up too often and that negates the effectiveness of where your power's going Um, for example when most people lift their head they create and they don't do it deliberately most of the time but they they create a lot more downwards force Mm -hmm. which doesn't actually make you go forwards to be able to produce that head lift to see where they're going and then they keep their head there too long so even even um, when you are in in, in a turbulent sort of ocean setting you you do have to lift your head quickly but then immediately get your head back down um, no matter how um, Mm -hmm. often you're lifting your head to to navigate Yeah. yeah It's so one of those things, I think, that, that the um, the better swimmers do get away with a little bit better. Um, they can lift your head more often and maintain a better body position than a poorer swimmer. So really, um, I think, you know, the he, he, your head lift is, is the biggest thing, and it creates the second thing, and that second thing is a rush stroke. Um, like, basically, a lack of a glide, and we're normally talking, uh, we're mainly talking what happens when you're going easy here, but if you can pause a little bit even when you're going at speed, um... You generally tend to produce a bit more backwards force when you do start pulling. Yeah. Like it makes you know to all your all your listeners you know obviously back- backwards force is a lot more obviously um, positive and forwards direction than downwards force is. So if you can slow your catch down, pause first on the reach even for a split second and then slowly catch until your hands facing backwards then produce your force. It it'll always brings a better um, a better stroke and a better um, result.
0: Mm, okay. Yeah, yeah it sounds good. Hey, um, how important is kicking, and for an Ironman at least?
2: Yeah, kicking, kicking in terms of Ironman is another one of those uh, interesting topics that, um, especially with males over the age of forty, don't want to know about. Females find it a lot easier because of their flexibility. Um, but, but kicking really—if you want to be as objective as you can about it—it's it's one of only two propulsion systems that you have. So, if you if you do completely um, ignore it, then you're dealing with about three issues. You obviously ignore all of the, pro- the potential propulsion that you can get out of your kick. Um, and even though propulsion is the obvious aspect that um, a kick will add to your stroke, um, the other two aspects to, or um, well, there's actually another three um, aspects to why your kick is important whether you're an ocean swimmer or whether you're a pool swimmer. Um, most males who don't like kick, who are age group triathletes, they don't like it for a very severe reason. It's because they don't have the ankle flexi- flexibility to produce a um, a good kick with backwards force. Um, and because of that, they can't see the point in doing a lot of work on it because they know that when they have in the past, they don't actually get benefit out of it. Mm. But if they work on the flexibility over winter and um, and don't even kick at all, but if they, if they don't have that flexibility and they can get a lot more flexible, they'll simply start kicking better and they'll actually start noticing a big change in the way their stroke changes. So a, we've always noticed changes and um, a good kicker will lead to a good stroke. Like You'll get a synergy in terms of um, a better kick always produces even more power out of your arms. Um, it gives balance to the stroke um, and that's why you get a synergy out of the arm strokes but also a lot of the um, sort of over male um, age group triathletes you'll notice create a lot of drag with their feet because A, they don't have that flexibility, their feet don't stay very compact together and so there you're dealing with um, something on the other angle, it's not even a propulsion issue but um, if you did even ignore the uh, propulsion aspect to the kick and um, you took it purely from a drag angle and you could just eliminate drag that was being caused so if you know you're in that mm. position in the boat already then you're going to be able to create a more effective stroke just by getting with the drag
3: so mm. if you don't
2: work on Creating yeah, So, kick, whether you're an ocean swimmer or a pool swimmer, it is an important issue. But um, it's easy to see why um, a lot of age groupers um, really don't want to do it and why they avoid it um, um, like a butterfly set. Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Love those butterfly sets. <laughs> um, when, when you're building up, you know, sort of in your, the race part of the season, so for obviously the Kiwis, that's generally sort of you know, December, February, March, um, December, January, February. Are there any sort of key sessions that you sort of look to give um, pretty much all your Ironman athletes at, at certain points in the build-up? Um, yeah, key sessions are a bit of
2: a—it's um, it's one of those broad questions. We've normally we, we with with an athlete that is working, um, they can normally handle about three, um, and if they do those three sessions per week, well, they don't really need to do a fourth and. and unless you're looking at somebody who has got a little bit more time than only in part-time employment and they can recover a bit of a in terms of key sessions um, we'll put it down to kind of three um, broad session plans a week um, as you will instead of actual key sessions like the only key session that we might do and it's really only over um, over summer is kind of like an indicator for where you are at and we, we might do an indicating session. On about four different angles, like if your kick's getting better, like have a kick test um, once a month. Have a, a distance per stroke test once yeah. a month. Have a, um, a stroke oh, a set we call a mini max, which is a minute. It's, it's a combination of both your stroke counts and your time, just to find out what's happening with your stroke count. What what, what happens to it when you're going at speed, and also just a straight sprint. So we'll do it like an indita- indicator type session um, once a month when they're in season. Um, or just a straight time trial to find out where they're at. But uh, we find that an indicator session, which gives you a a range of um, indications, you know, what's actually happening with this stroke and as many tangible levers as possible, is almost better than a a time trial because it tells you what's going to happen with a time trial anyway. Mm. Um, But in terms of three sessions a week, what we'll try and do is gradually build somebody up over, firstly, maybe a a long session, assuming they're doing it well and they can gradually build that session as long as they're doing it properly um, in terms of pace or, or stroke counts. Um, session session is either a, a time-based pacing session, or once they've got that control of the pace right, you'll build that into um, for the better swimmers' uh, threshold set, which is pretty much just a race race pace set um, from 25 to 40 minutes, depending on how good that swimmer is.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and then the last session. I've always found that distance per stroke sets mixed with kick and drill sessions always work quite well. And they're a good session to have on Monday if um, you're dealing with a, uh, a working athlete who's been doing some huge miles on the weekend on the bike and the run. Doing that short session, even if there's a little a bit of sprint work or a hard, hard kick in it, it actually works quite well on, on the Monday. Mm. Because um, even if there is, as I said, a lot of kick in it, um, as long as there's short kick sets and um, the sprint, they actually don't kill you too badly. and the, that session normally ends up being 25s, 50s, or you know, just low repetitions that um, are easy to think about when you're knackered from that long distance.
1: Mm,
2: yeah. Nice. So, in terms of key sessions, maybe an, an indicated session which gives you a bit of a, um, a range of um, feedback, not just a time trial or just a time trial maybe once a month, um, or you know, just a range of sessions per week. Cool. We've
1: got a couple of questions here from some of our listeners. Um, you've, you've pretty much addressed definitely. this one already, but one of the questions was. What should my head position be? Some people say look straight down. A few others say look forward, as if you're looking in an area um, where the floor of the pool meets the wall. Who is right and why? I guess you've really covered that as as people really want to be keeping their head down. Do you want to be looking directly straight at the bottom of the pool? Um, Yeah, it's a broad question. Again, it all comes down to
2: um, you want your head position at all times, if you didn't have to breathe, in a position that's going to eliminate drag. So... Swimming is about two broad things. It's about getting through the water in in the best shape possible so you don't incur too much drag and turbulence. Um, um, There's three aspects surrounding it, but one of those is head position. So if your head position is roughly at the same level as your hips, 80% of the time, 20% of the other time, you're looking forwards because you have to. um, And if you didn't need to breathe, then you had to be in the perfect position 100% of the time. But um, obviously we... Um, we're we're working with triathletes who do need to get in the ocean and and navigate by lifting their head every now and again, but um, I normally say, if your head is in a position where about a centimetre to two centimetres of your head, the back of your head, that is not the crown, the top of your head, but the back of your head is uh, um, say up to two centimetres out of the water then that's probably perfect and to get in that position you need to be looking down and if you're in a pool, probably two or three tiles backwards but the, the general rule is if you're looking at that position 80% of the time and 20% of the, t- the rest of the time you've got to look forward to the past people or just to check your asses around them, that's probably good enough. So some people will tell you you've got to have your head you know, right down, some people tell you you've got to have your head looking forward, and really it's a max, but if you can keep your head 80% of the time in a head down position so that you know, water can flow straight under you without hitting your chest... Then you know that's probably the best mix.
0: Yeah. Okay. We also had a question regarding fingers. Now this is one I've had a lot of myself. Is that should the fingers be closed or should there be a slight gap? And if so, how much?
2: Yeah, it's a fair question as well. It's, it's one of those things where um, all of the research I've done over over my years as a swim coach, um, you know, you find you've, you've got to be reasonably well versed in in what um, you do yourself. You've got to know um, if you use yourself as an example, which I try to do with my swimmers. Um, plus you've got to know what the elites um, You know the Olympic champions The world champions are doing And mm. how they swim So you can answer these questions With a bit of a lack, you know, lack of bias mm. um, But I've always noticed It's a bit of a random thing With, with elite swimmers at least um, I know logically for me keeping your, keeping your fingers loosely closed Creates a slightly bigger surface area On your whole palm So theoretically you know, if, if you're a sailor And you can use a bigger sail You're always going to choose the bigger sail mm. um, There's no, no argument with that I guess Um, And it seems Logical to me as well, if you can keep your your fingers At least slightly Loosely not jammed And together Then you're going to create a slightly bigger surface area But every now and again you will see somebody who swims with one of their fingers Or their fingers slightly apart. But it doesn't actually seem to be Any major negative thing Um, Mm. And I'm only taking that from an unbiased perspective Of knowing what um, the world's elites So um, What the world's elites actually do But like Popov, for example, one of his um, right... Oh, I'm not sure which, which thumb it is, but one of his thumbs sits completely out and, on the other hand, it's completely in. So hmm. all his fingers are together, but one of his thumbs is out and one of them is not. So, you know, whether he actually knows he does it or not, I don't know. I don't know the guy, but um, I find it quite... quite um, um, It's probably unlikely that he's doing it specifically for that reason. So I think it's probably just a random thing that he perspectively... Um, does intuitively and who knows I don't know but at the end of the day I think it's quite logical if, if you've got a bigger surface area that's better and when your fingers are lightly apart I don't think it matters too much as long as they're not fully apart yeah yeah we've always we, we do stroke count tests with some of our swimmers every now and again to give them a different feel and even when they put their fingers completely apart they often don't have a lot different stroke counts than when their fingers are fully together. but then when you get a Get a swimmer swimming the first; it completely destroys their technique.
0: <laughs> so yeah, so at the end of that,
2: it's it's one of those things. I, I think it's um, it, it's a funny thing, the whole swim technique thing. You've got to be open-minded. Um, there's no one perfect answer for everything, although there are certain things that most elites tend to conform to. But um, there's always a little bit of you know, if, if yeah. you want to be on the forefront, then um, you've got to be open to um, to, to change and yeah.
1: We're going to just finish with one uh, Probably the most broad question we've had all day <laughs> if, if there was What are the f- five basic and easy remember, remember things to do You can do every swim session That will improve your stroke So basically how do you get faster So it's a bit of, <laughs> a, bit of a broad one But I know you've got um, perhaps maybe a couple of tips You can give um, for, for just general tips
2: Yep Yeah we, we like to keep things simple as well I think um, um, when we first started swimming coaching, uh, you know, you go through a period where you're learning. Um, you craft you, you think you're not know well. You've come from a good background, and and um, it's a whole complete different um, game, game. Being on the other side of the fence, trying to communicate what you're doing well, but simplicity is definitely better. And um, If you can keep, we'll give you three things, and if you can keep these three things in your head most of the time, no matter whether you're going fast or slow, you generally tend to get better. And the first one is, if you can get your strokes down over time, whether you're swimming easy or fast, um, you are going to be better because that tells the coach and it tells yourself as well that you're um, reaching yourself and rotating and falling forwards into positions that will cause less drag. So, if you can gradually try and over time bring your stroke counts per length down, no matter what pool length you're in, then that is going to mean um, less drag and you'll eventually speed up. And there's always a correlation between um, a lower stroke count and a better swimmer. So, um, second thing is um, there are oh, two common faults are crossing on your reach reaching Mm. across the center line when you're reaching and there's multiple reasons which we don't need to get into why it's a fault
3: Mm. Um,
2: and then if a lot of people who do that they'll also cross under your body when they're pulling. So you'll not only feel more more grounded, you'll get a bit of glide, you'll get a bit of catch, you'll even find a bit of pull. If you keep your right arm dead straight or just on the right hand side of your reach and the same on the left, dead straight with your left arm when you're reaching um, or slightly on the left hand side um, when you're when you're reaching, but then as you catch and you pull, there will be a slight sculling motion that you go through on your on your journey back to your hip as you're pulling. But as long as that that um, subtle S curve as you catch and pull back stays with your right arm, um, basically on the right hand side of your body, then everything will tend to feel grounded and you'll, you'll actually incur more more power on your on your palm as you're pulling. So um, basically. Whatever your right arm's doing, keep it straight out the the front or slightly on your right of yourself as you pull back. Um, Yes, so number three, um, and this goes pretty much in, in, um, in keeping with the first two points. Whatever you're doing with a speedier stroke, even if you're going easy, and especially when you're going easy, try and pause just a fraction on your glide, keep your catch slow, and then only make the back part of your stroke faster. So what that'll tend to do is it'll, it'll mean your stroke's will come down because you'll pause a little bit in a better, a better position. And then in, the, in going from the position at the end of the reach to the start of your pull when your hand is potentially going to go and produce negative downwards pressure, if you can just keep your catch slow, it'll, it'll minimise that. And then once your hand is facing backwards through um, from the end of the catch to the back of the pull, uh, um, just make that the most powerful part of your stroke. So basically what we're saying there is through one complete revolution of one arm cycle, you need different speeds. You need to pause, then catch slow, and then pull faster. Excellent. Cheers, cool. guys.
1: Thank yeah. you, thanks, Ray. And just tell us a bit about what's sort of going on up in Auckland. Obviously, you've got your um, squad, so maybe just tell us a bit about that for, for the New Zealand listeners we've got.
2: Yeah, it's very cool. We, um, well, we, we run a swim coaching business called Future Dreams, um, and uh, it's futuredreams.co.nz, uh For any of the listeners that are online. Yeah. Um, but we also run a, um, a women's-only lessons um, series, and we run that through swimcoach.co.nz. Um, but basically what we what we cater for up here in, in Auckland is we've got three pools. We, we operate out at East um, through Panmure Lagoon Leisure and Fitness Pools. We do women's-only lessons out there um, currently, and we're just set to put a master's program in there. Cool. Um, we do a summer program over Parnell uh, for most of our triathletes so that anybody in their, in their, tr- their wetsuits who wants to come down and do a bit of do a bit of uh, sort of open water swimming without sort of getting in, in the actual open water. They come down into the 60 metre pool and do a bit of do a bit of uh, long distance swimming in, in their wetsuits. And then all our main operations are based out of um, Central City um, in a pool called Bar. So we do a range of different things down there. We do our underwater sessions, do a workshop maybe once every uh, two months for the underwater camera. We do uh, private lessons. There's uh, two or three coaches down there we employ to do that. Um, we've got a big range of um, uh, women's Lonely Lessons on Tuesday and Thursday And we sort of officially um, Affiliate ourselves with uh, Both the Sun Latte series up here And also the More FM series of wins races So we um, have um, nice feeders there um, And then we've just got our stri- tri-squad So basically we've got a We've got a group for anyone And we, um, we cater for absolutely The, uh, the most beginning uh, beginner swimmer Who can't even put their face in the water To um, elites like Joe Lorne and um, Fiona Doherty And Chanel Barrett So
1: a bit of a mix well, yeah. we're gonna um, in a moment. Uh, once we've uh, finished talking with you, we're actually going to profile your um, your swim video CD so people can also get um, mm, get hold of which that. Which is great. Do you do Do you still do any online work?
2: Um, we do just a little bit um, at the moment. We did that for quite a few years, but um, uh, basically the reason why we got out of it was that the um, our swimmers were getting good good um, good results from it, but. Was, uh, it was just taking up too much time in front of the computer, which was yeah. basically giving me a headache. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> so, so I think um, at the end of the day, we wanted to do such a good um, program for people for that. Uh, yeah, it just took too much time, and, you know, headaches, are kind of good. Yeah. Thing. They don't breathe for good <laughs> for you when you're going down to the pool. So that one sort of died a bit of a death. But you can still do, um, we, we actually do um, online assessments, and we found it's a much more finite time thing uh, in that people take it a lot more seriously yeah um, we we do an online assessment uh, it's about I think it's about hundred us dollars I think for that we yeah follow up sort of at a um, smaller charge but we um, we basically get um, oh, about five pieces of information that the uh, the swarm finds out first about themselves yeah. flexibility and stroke counts and times and bit about that stuff, um, and then they send us all their videos from different angles, and then we, um, we give them, a, we give them a, t- a call back and talk them through the assessment, and then make some programming recommendations, so it's, um, it's quite a good thing to do, um, we probably have about one or two people a week doing that, but it's not as heavy as what we used to do, Cool. Um, but it's
1: what we have on now. Hayden also writes in the uh, Multi Sport magazine in mm. New Zealand, so um, look out for his articles there and we 'll we'll put a link up on uh, our site through to Hayden, so you can check out all the information there yep and um, thanks obviously so much for your time today hayden it 's been very educational yeah, hopefully, right, yeah. hopefully bevan's uh, learnt a little bit i 've just be... lost
0: five minutes then, mate <laughs> if
1: We can get him swimming a bit be- better and uh, if any of you foreigners are sort of coming over to New Zealand, perhaps for Man, New Zealand, or something like that, and you are looking for a stay in New Zealand, make sure you
0: go and check Hayden out. Um, yeah.
1: And, you
0: know. I can vouch for that because I do swim at the tips when I'm in Auckland and I'm always impressed with how well Hayden spends time with his clients. Yeah. I've never seen anything like it to be honest. So. Cool. Mm.
1: So thanks for that Hayden and we'll uh, maybe catch There's up guys. with you again some other time. Cool. Oh, one, two, three, four, high five. Yeah, Bevan, Bevan pops me an email last week. Um, I need some ideas for high five, and he says, right, we're going to do peeing on the bike. Peeing on the bike. So they're pretty straightforward tips. Yeah, but
0: this is a big thing, because some people, it's a choice you need to make yourself. Um, Mm -hmm. Like me, I'll pee on the bike, you know, I'll pee in the race, basically, you know, because I I don't want to lose time going to the toilets. There's a lot of people who are disgusted by that thought, (laughs) um, which is fair enough, I suppose. We've all got our own standards, but um, to me, in a race, I don't want to lose three minutes going to the toilet. And so... Um, so it depends on where you're at. If you're just there to finish, you stop in the toilet, that's totally fine. Whereas maybe you are trying to win your age group or you're trying to get a Kona slot, um, or getting a goal time where. Uh, I said, bugger it. Everybody should pee on the bike. Yeah, pee on the bike. Go <laughs> <laughs> on. You Although I remember the first time I did it, it was it was quite a hard thing to do. Very challenging. Yeah, yeah it's actually good. really hard to do. And I'd never practiced it. You know, you don't yeah. really go out on your training rides and practice yeah. being on the bike. Which is exactly why we're giving it just
1: a few little basic tips. Yeah, um, nice. So, number one, uh, is Hopefully you'll know the course a little bit um, before you go into it, and hopefully it is maybe a little bit undulating, but try to wait for a downhill section, um, so then you can, uh, just a little bit easier, you can stop pedaling and uh, and just chill out, yep. so, so a downhill section
0: is where you want to try and do it ideally. Um, number two is stop peddling, and also with this one I found just through experience is actually to have one leg down, one leg up. Yeah. Um, so you're, you're stopping peddling, and you're actually having one foot lower and one foot higher, and that way it seems the angle just seems to work better. Yeah. yeah okay. <laughs> Working those angles. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, number three, relax. Just, just, just yeah. relax. Yeah. Don't worry about losing. Uh, you are going to lose. You know, maybe. 10, 20 seconds, yeah. um, just by slowing down. But well then perspective: if you got off the bike and you stopped and went to a toilet, you're probably going
0: to lose, like Bevan said, you know, a couple of minutes. Yeah. So, um, you just, and, you, and you to be honest, you, you may need to be, go for three p's on the bike. So, yeah. you know, if you add that up, there could be ten minutes to your race. Um, best not to do it with full, two full drink bottles. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, there, there is a little bit of.
1: Uh, if you're wearing bike pants, it tends to go straight down your legs. But yeah. girls may be a little bit different. Um, so yeah, if you've uh, Probably not an ideal time is when you've got two filled drink bottles. You may get a little bit of uh, overflow there and a little bit of uh, on the 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 drink drink bottles, and that's that's not too nice. Uh, you want to do the last one? last one, um, it's a fantastic way. <laughs> oh, this <is> a shock. <laughs> If you've got wheel-sucking bastards behind you, um, don't wait for a downhill. Just <laughs> let rip and you get rid of them pretty quickly. You'll lose them. you quickly find out. Um, See, this is what an experienced coach can give you. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, a great way of getting rid of people. If it's a nice hot day and somebody's biking along behind you, they start feeling a few little trickles of water coming on their face and they look up and, <laughs> oh, yeah. and they, re- they realise you're not taking a drink.
0: We've just gone to another level, haven't we? <laughs> it's a fair chance to I will, I will give can... a couple more serious tips. Um, it may take a little bit of time. You will stand up in the seat and it, yeah. it's not a natural position, so it may take a bit of time and you have to put a bit of pressure down in that area to actually get it out. Once it starts flowing, it's not a problem. Um, <laughs> 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 oh, <this. laughs> (laughs) Got to keep focused. And lastly, actually have a, a water bottle. So when you know you're going to go for a pee in the next aid session, grab a water bottle, and then once you've done your pee, because it will get all over your pants pour the water over your pants in the area that where it's done. Um, it's generally water that's coming out anyway because that's what you've consumed a lot of, but oh, that way it's, it, at least it's a little bit cleaner that way. <laughs> <laughs> so keep those
1: hygiene standards up at all stages during oh, yes. the race. Yeah, definitely. So, right, what next we week's putting your
3: pants. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: that has been done once before. Only Not nine, man, but we do have a, a guy a coast-to-coast race, and a guy was going for the record, and oh, really? apparently What's he uh, did just drop his Dax and lean over the back of his bike seat and just really? for it. He wasn't stopping for anything. Oh, I suppose
0: we've got the record in place. So, uh, yeah, so, yeah, we advise
1: going to the toilet in that department. Yes. So, yes. Um, so that's high five for this week. Hopefully yes. we've got something a bit more tasteful next time. Yeah,
0: definitely. Yeah.
1: Whew. Got Gordo here on Epic Camp.
0: And uh, how are you feeling, Gordo? Feeling pretty good. Surprisingly good, actually.
3: Yeah.
0: So... I talked to Scott earlier and a question I asked him and I ask you as well was how is this epic camp in comparison to the other ones you've ran?
3: I think this one is probably the hardest one we've put together so far. Um, the, The climbing's been really, really tough and so just to get up everything all the guys are having to do a lot of hard cycling every day and then to top it off a uh, few of us have been going pretty darn hard on some of the climbs as well, so it's been it's been pretty solid. The, the nice thing about doing the really big volume on the bike is that you don't get beat up as bad as if you're doing really high volume running. So in general, the condition of the lads is really good. Um, nobody's sick. Everybody's still hitting almost all the sessions. I mean, we got a massive day today, and everybody got through. No worries. Uh, yeah. So it's been really good. And you personally, how are you feeling? Yeah, I'm feeling I'm feeling good. I, I took four weeks off after Brazil. Didn't do anything. Um, basically, did about six hours training the week before Epic, and then just boom, slammed straight into it. I was pretty conservative on the first couple of days because I made that mistake in other camps, gone, gone out too hard and really suffered. And, and I'm feeling I'm feeling great now. I'm in my uh, I had a look at my numbers on my power meter after the ride today, and it was my highest 90-minute power for any ride ever. Oh wow! Uh, when we did the we did a we did the biggest climb of the tour uh, today, and it was it was about a 6,000-foot climb, and we went uh, went right up through Andorra, finished off at about 8,000 feet. And it, it was fantastic. I mean, it was a. Uh, we were fortunate. The wind just seemed to keep swinging behind us. So it was. Uh, it was our highest average speed ride. But just to give a feel for the, the highest average speed ride, was it was 30 k an hour for the front guys, and Whoa. that was with Scott pulling us for the first 70 k, which we did in an hour 45. So Whoa. we averaged. We did. 70 k holding forty k an hour uh to kick off that was sort of the leading group and then Michael Peters went to the front and hit it pretty hard and and then it kind of and then uh, I just went for it with about an hour and a half to go to the to the top and so it was uh it was really really good day I mean a lot of we were good weather uh, it was a hot day in the lowlands, but once we got we were up pretty high for most of the day, so it was pretty cool.
0: And do you find you, you're getting that high? Obviously, the natural high that comes with those kind of efforts. Uh,
3: you know, we haven't – I felt the altitude a bit today once I went over 2,000 meters. We haven't done any really hard running efforts or any really hard swimming efforts here at uh, Fon Rameau. And I think when we have our activities day, that's when some of the guys are going to kind of really notice the altitude because one of the things we have is – a. Uh, 2K, uh, uphill mountain run, uh, that we're gonna do with the lads. And, and I think we're gonna see some people really kind of feel the altitude there and the combination of fatigue and a bit of the thinner air. Well, some of the guys came from Colorado, so, you know, we're, we're about the same le- level as Boulder right now. So if the guys were pre acclimatized, they're, they're, uh, they're doing well here. But some of the guys that came from sea level feel it a bit more.
0: Yep. Yeah. Uh, what, what are the gains that you believe? Uh, people get from Epic Camp The
3: the main the main gain that, that the athletes get if you take the first week and the first week's really about physical gains, the uh you know all that bike volume Removing all their non-training stress so they can just focus on training. I think the guys get a physical benefit. Somewhere in the first, uh, somewhere along the lines in the first week, it shifts more to mental gains, which is, you know, being totally shagged, uh, five hours into a seven or eight hour ride. And then just the group environment gets going and you find that you're able to go pretty darn hard, harder than you thought possible for about an hour for something. Uh, for a KOM or something like that, yeah. um, as well. Waking up in the morning, being pretty tired, and knowing you got a nine-hour day in front of you, and getting through that. Yeah. Um, those e- e- epics, like a 12-hour, sorry, a 12-day event, whereas Ironman is just a one-day event. And I, and I think something the guys take from the camp is it brings Ironman into perspective when you know that you've done you know, across 12 days, you've, you've done, say, seven or eight days where you were out there for anywhere from seven to ten hours. Mm-hmm. Um, it makes Ironman seem a lot more manageable. I think for a lot of these guys that don't do the big training, you know, their longest day might be five hours or something like that. So you're really going into the unknown on race day. Yep. And he, here, I mean, it's a known entity. You know what it's going to feel like when you're totally shagged. You, you, and it removes that emotional component of fatigue. Kind of that panic, you know, oh, am I going to collapse? Am I going to blow up? I'm so tired. All that stuff just goes, and you just accept the fatigue and you just keep moving forward. And that's kind of where you get to. It's, uh, I, I mean, it, it feels peaceful to me. Um my buddy KP, his wife says I'm confusing peace <laughs> with exhaustion. I mean, a lot of us get pretty, pretty tired, but, uh, but, you know, that's what happens. You just accept it, and you just kind of keep going. And and another thing I like about the camp is that nobody can really do the camp exactly as they want. Yeah. The camp, you, you can't kind of dictate to the camp what your day is going to be like or what your week going to be like. Things are going to come up. You might get injured. You might get sick. You might get really tired. And you're going to have to accept sort of your limits. Your limits are going to be a lot further than you thought they were. But you're still going to have to have that element of acceptance and and I think that is um, that's useful there's that element of maybe a little bit of humility and stuff uh, which serves people well on race day yeah. um, keeps things calm and then kind of keeps things on an even keel through the through the, through their event.
0: so so you've done quite a few hipcamps now obviously and what's Some of the things you've learnt by doing a lot of them, you know, a lot of people come and do one, maybe two Epic Camps. What are you learning now that you're maybe into your sixth or seventh Epic Camp?
3: Oh, hey, you crapped out on that one. Oh, sorry. You've you've done a
0: lot of Epic Camps, and um, a lot of people maybe do one or two, but you're maybe into your sixth or seventh Epic Camp. What are you learning from experience, you know, of doing a lot of them? What's Are you learning new experiences still?
3: Oh, yeah. I mean, the, the, I, it's the easiest way for me to do the training that, that I think is required to get fit, to do a, a, an Ironman. There's no way that if I was by myself, I could do this kind of bike training, that I do this much swimming. The group environment, the point-to-point riding, the quality of the guys that are around me really helped me lift my game on the, on the training Side of things, so I think I get a, I get a huge benefit from the camps physically. Um, I, I think outside of sport, I mean, a lot of the guys that come back are, are really some of my best friends now. So it gives me an opportunity to meet new people. I mean, as a as an elite athlete, you can be pretty one-dimensional sometimes. You don't you don't get a lot of new experiences, and the Epic gets uh, gets me a bit out of the box. I meet some new people. Go to new places, and, and that's one of the things that I really enjoy out of it. Um, and there's still physical surprises. I mean, I, I've, I've, uh, these climbs have been really hard, and just being able to just, you know, ride ride hard and, and kind of surprise myself with things that I can pull off um, when tired, too. So, I mean, a lot of the stuff that I talk about the guys getting are things that I'm still uh, learning from myself. And, and, and it's a lot of fun. I mean, this is it's a nice way to spend a couple of weeks.
0: Um, so you got four days to go. You're looking forward to the last couple of days or four days.
3: Yeah, it's gonna. What we're gonna try and do is, uh, well, Mike's talking about riding to Barcelona. But other than that, the rest of us are uh, gonna try and consolidate a bit tomorrow. We've got a special event planned for the afternoon. Monica's gonna give a swim session to the, the little swim clinic in the morning. And then the day after is our games day, which is normally a pretty low-key uh, affair, but pretty anaerobic. So the nature of the camp switches. So what we do over, say, the first, I mean, this camp, the first eight days have been really endurance-oriented, a lot of moderately hard-to-hard on the climbs. Um, and now we're going to try and do some shorter events, go fast, um, and, uh, and kind of enjoy ourselves that way. And then we got a few silly things planned as well, too, I think. Johnny really likes speed mini golf, and so he's <laughs> gonna bring that back and just talk of some sort of taking us to a driving range or something, doing some golf event. Uh, I, I'm, I'm not 100% sure of everything he's got planned, but he's been he's been dreaming things up over the last few days, so so that should be fun. And then we just have uh, uh, and then day 11 and 12 are gonna be just a couple of pretty solid days, but I imagine they'll be pretty low key because from a uh, from uh, all the Jerseys and stuff will be pretty much sorted out by then. But but you never know. I mean it's a pretty tight battle for third place right now, so those guys might be duking it out uh on the way uh on the way back to Poe, and that could make things interesting. So who's winning at the moment?
0: Who's what? Winning at the moment. Who's in first place?
3: Oh, uh, uh it's it's tied. Mike and I are, are, are tied. Uh and uh, we, we had a bit of a truce today because he was going to go out after we got back from just ripping this ride. He, he had run in the morning, and I hadn't run yet. So I – but I had swum 6K, and he he'd only swum three. Yeah. So he, he was going to go out and run an hour 45 – no, what was it? An hour 40 off the bike. Yeah. And then I, and then I was going to have to run an hour 40. So we did a compromise. We both just ran 50 minutes. So he did, like – what did he do? So he did – 2 two 50-minute runs today, a, a 3K swim, and a 180K ride where, where he would have had, I don't know, three hours of tempo and an hour just under his threshold. Wow. And then, uh, and then I, I did something similar, except so I just had one run, and I, I swam 6K to start the day. Yeah, crazy, eh? So, so from here
0: forward after uh, Epic Camp, what are you looking forward in regards to races, Gordon?
3: Yeah, it's pretty straightforward actually. The nice thing about this is you throw this much training in your body. There's not a. You just have to make sure you get to your race intact. Uh, so uh, Monica and I are going to go to Paris for uh, an easy week, and then we're going to go do a two-week training camp uh, in France, still in the Pyrenees, but at the base of the Pyrenees, so I can change the nature of my bike training to uh, the flats because I think that's critical for Ironman racing. Yep. And then after that, uh, oh, and then to finish that training camp off, we're doing this really hilly duathlon, so it's like 10K hilly run, and then the bike ride goes over some sort of coal, and uh, then it's a flat 15 or 16K run. So it's a really good session for Ironman because you basically shell yourself and then try and run 10 miles fast on the flat. Um, and then and that I think that session is about five weeks out from Canada. Four weeks out from Canada, I'm going to do a uh, – olympic distance race in scotland and then uh basically just paper down uh you know kind of freshen up try and keep things rolling with my swimming and uh just go a bit easy on the run so i'm not too beat up uh so it's pretty simple
0: i am um, i read your race report from brazil and i, I thought it was a great race report and um I was just wondering, I just thought you could, if you could share your insight on having a a rest period, like a year, how you've had a year off, and as an Ironman, how that's been really good for you.
3: Yeah, I think that the the whole, the whole, uh, I think people get uh, caught up on kind of just doing race after race after. The race you know sort of two yeah. or three ironmans a year and it's easy to especially when things appear to be going well to kind of just end up doing one ironman too many and so when and and i had a bit of that experience at the beginning of 2005 when when i didn't i hadn't really rested appropriately after my great race in canada in 2004 Yep. Yeah. and 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 i and i still had a good race in new zealand but i really paid the price after that and so i took a long break about seven months where I hardly hardly did anything at all. And that was really useful for me because I got a lot done outside of triathlon. Um, and I also found when I came back that, you know, things, I mean, where are we now? It's July, and I started training again in December. So seven or eight months, and I got most almost everything back. I mean, I'm not... I'm not back to 100% of where I was, but I but I got I got a large chunk of it back very quickly. And yeah. I think many athletes uh are sort of scared to take that long for break cuz they're going to lose the fitness and it'll never come back. But I think the trap you can fall into is if you're fried, you'll end up just sort of plateaued or stale and you won't be able to take yourself to the next to your next kind of level. Yeah. Um and that's why I think a break is, is is essential. When you listen to guys like Mark Allen or Cameron Brown, uh, athletes that have managed to stay at the top for a long, long period of time and make continual progress in improving, most of those athletes uh, have been pretty smart about taking their breaks. Um, I mean, a, a classic example across a very long time period is uh, John Hellman, who's, you know, still ripping it in his 50s but he's had a lot of periods where he took long breaks from structured training um and and that's enabled him a a a very long career at a very high level yep
0: um just lastly you are you know you're not young as such as an Ironman as such how are you finding the age process in, in line with that as well
3: are you talking about getting older? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> discreetly. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's it's interesting. I I um I still haven't really noticed the the effects all that much. Um, I've I've never had a particularly good tolerance for hard hard efforts and hard training, and that's probably due to the fact that I started athletics relatively late in life. Athletes that I know. That started as children or teenagers have a much better tolerance for the stuff that's over the threshold. Um, it might have something to do with my with, with just the way I am. Um, so I haven't I haven't noticed a lot of the things that people talk about in terms of you know injuries and slower recovery and things like that. Um, but also I guess I'm I'm also willing to you know go really slow or get dropped and and. And I and I try not to repeat the mistakes I've made over the years with, you know, frying myself. Um, so I suppose the main the main thing is not so much, I guess, getting older. The main thing is learning to deal with the cycles of fitness, which I think are, are, are natural. So the cycles of fitness through a year and the cycles of fitness year to year or across two to three years with fitness kind of going up and down. Yeah. I think each year when we start our training – um, the sessions that we remember are normally the best sessions of the the previous year, the sessions and the races that happened at the end of the year. So it can be tempting for athletes to get back to those really hard sessions and get back to uh, very hard structured training, and and I think that that can be a mistake. So you can kind of think, oh, I've I've lost it. I'm not I'm not I'm not kind of where I used to be. Instead of being more patient with yourself and kind of building up to uh, building back up to that training over, you know, one or two years. I mean I'm currently about seven months into an eighteen month plan that I've put together for myself to 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 kind of get back in, into decent shape. Yep. Um and and I'm willing to take a, a long term view on that. And that requires being pretty humble. Uh I mean this epic camp's going a lot better. The on the Epic Camp we had in January, I was starting with the A group every day and basically as soon as we hit a hill i got punched straight out the back and so i was riding by myself most days uh-huh. um and that can be tough mentally um but once you once you just accept that that's the way it's going to be and then you just kind of settle in and just do your own ride and enjoy it um and this this time i'm a bit stronger so it's actually it's a uh, it's a bit easier a bit more fun when you when you're not kind of getting punched out all the time Okay, I can imagine. Hey, well, thanks for your time, Gordo, and uh, I probably won't get a chance to speak to you before
0: Canada. So good luck over there, and hopefully a really good race, and good luck for the rest of the Epic Camp. Um, yeah. So thanks for your time. Thanks, Yeah, and I'll see you in New Zealand. Maybe are you coming to New Zealand this year?
3: Uh, yeah, we'll do, we're going to be in Noosa for a couple months, and then we're going to then we're going to head over for Epic.
0: Okay. Well, I'll see you when you're over here, and uh, yeah, good luck. Thanks for your time, mate.
3: Okay, thanks.
0: Righto, guys, so that's pretty much the show for this week. Just want to thank our sponsors, Coffee of Hawaii. I'm just looking at the website right now, and I'm looking at the Hawaiian Island Style Blend Vanilla Mac Nut. So this is a delicious Hawaiian Island Style Vanilla Macadamia Nut, medium, roast dark, delightfully flavoured with tropical vanilla and macadamia nut. Oh, that's a mouthful. (laughs) So this is one of the coffees that they have. Um, They do have the Hawaii Island Style 7-ounce whole bean special still happening this month. So remember that if you want to, if you're an international listener, not out of America, basically, and you want to get some of that stuff, email them uh, through their website and they'll be able to just say you're an Ironman Talk listener and they'll give you some good cheap uh, shipping rates. Other than that, if you have any questions regarding Epic Camp, um, oh, that's coffeesofhawaii.com to go to. If you have any questions regarding Epic Camp, we're going to be doing a show from there in two weeks from now. And uh, email us at ironmantalk at gmail.com. And we're going to be doing starting off with an interview with Scott and Gordo, probably a good hour or so with those boys um, in the first show. So, if you've got any questions for those guys, send them through to us and they'd be really great. Um, next week I am doing a best of again, so I'll just have a best of on and then after that it's Epic Camp stuff. Please click on an ad and on our website, it helps to give us some revenue. Also, I won't be updating the website over the next couple of weeks just because I'm on holiday and I just want to relax... And, uh, yeah, so you guys get out there and uh iron Russ, iron men don't. Train hard, train well. Kia kaha.